After a long and bitter electoral campaign, the people of the United States have spoken, and they have a new president. It has been a historic election, but rather than looking back, our place as Christians is to always look forward. What does this election mean? How do we respond as Catholics? There's been much division over the last year and a half, even among Catholics. How do we bridge those gaps now? How do we respond as church to a government that may or may not be supportive of what we believe or even of us as Catholic Church? Here's where I take a page from Pope Francis. Lately, he's been talking a lot about dialogue. We can't resolve our differences without talking. And dialogue is not just talking, but mostly listening. We are all Catholic. We're on the same side here. Remember that anything that is divisive is not of God. God is communion. That means that everything that comes from God brings us together. As body of Christ, we must always work towards unity. How do we help a divided states of America? We work for unity. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to another all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callen. So, Emily, there's a new president. There is, Pedro. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, yeah. I mean. <laughs> I know, we're, we're still all just, you know, uh, processing. processing. Yeah, yeah, processing. Although, yeah, I mean, it's been a couple days. So, I'm, I'm curious, actually, Emily, to know what our listeners have to say about the, the election and the, the, that whole thing this week. Um, especially what it means to be a Catholic voter. Mm-hmm. Um because I know that the election has been divisive and even yes. divisive, you know, among, among Catholics. Catholics. Um, uh, so it would be, be great to, to hear from our listeners. Most of our listeners are in the United States. Yeah. Um, it's very easy for us to sit up here smug north of the border and be like, well, we're in Canada. This is not affecting us. But it is. And we want to know what you think. And how they vote, right? Like exactly. What, what are the things that they, they look for when uh, they... Exactly. When they mm-hmm. vote as Catholics. And I know mm-hmm. it was very difficult. In fact, I do not envy... No, not anybody at all. down there because I don't know what I would have done. Um, but I do know that two weeks ago, you might remember, I shared my thoughts on the so-called non-negotiables, right. um, and I received a tweet from Lisa Hayward in Michigan, and Lisa wrote, "Thank you for your explanation of political issues and forming conscience, especially in terms of life. It made so much sense." So you're welcome, Lisa. Good. And now the the reason why the only comment I'm reading is from Lisa is not because it's because it's the only comment we got. <laughs> Nobody else has written to tell me that they <laughs> disagree you, with me. Um, but if you disagree, that's 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 good. You should you should write us and 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 tell us. Tell me that you disagree with me, and and we'll read it here on the air. Um, but we always love it when people write. Because I'm really insecure. Emily's not, but I'm really insecure. So remember, the best way to reach me is via Facebook uh, or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro and Emily. Emily, is yeah, Emmy Callen. Emmy Callen and on Twitter. So today, Emily, we have a bit of a different different program mm-hmm. because we want to dedicate some time to what our response as Catholics is to the U.S. election, um, and that will be at the end of the program. I'm going to be sitting with Father Thomas Rosica, our CEO at Salt and Light Catholic Media, and Sebastian Gomes to speak about that. Um, but before all that, after Emily's news, Sister Marie Paul Curley is back in the house, and she's going to be talking not just about a particular film, but a, but a particular animated film company. And you probably won't be able to guess what that no. is, so I want to ask you. You just have to stay tuned and okay. listen. So okay. that's in about five minutes. 
And after that, Sebastian will be doing, as mm. always, his uh, Connect Five segment, and yep. he's going to be speaking with Carolyn Wu. All right, who yeah. Is, she was here in our in our office not not uh, long yeah. ago. She's uh, from Catholic Release Services. Yeah, the former well, yes, I mean, outgoing president. Outgoing president, exactly. Yeah, so they're going to be talking about the economy and, and important things like that. Um, and in the second half hour, we're going to be speaking about dying. Uh, uh, well, actually, about dying to be happy. Um, and there's a play on words okay. there. That's the title of a book by author Chris mm. Stepien. And, and we're going to be speaking about how to discover the truth about living. Mm. Um, and so that's in our second half hour. And because, as I said, we have... Uh, uh, there's no featured artist today because we have an extra segment. Um, since we're happy that the election is over and, and it's a new beginning for our friends in the United States, we pick some songs... Um, for you, our American listeners, this week. Uh, and I saw your song choices. Did you? Okay, Yes, there's good. one that I especially enjoy, okay, <laughs> which good, I think you good. enjoy as yes, well. Yes, I do too. And, and that's yeah. I think it's the last one. So we'll have to, you'll have to listen to the whole show yes. to, to wait and find out what that song is. But let's start with uh, Tony Melendez. Here he is with Good Morning America from his album Never Be the Same.
That was Tony Melendez with Good Morning America from his album Never Be the Same. And today we're going to be speaking about how the recent election impacts Catholics. Mm -hmm. That's at the end of the program. And in about five minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. But first, Emily is still here with our news. Lots of news? Well, yes, yes. I mean, of course, um, it's it's the end, as we know, the almost the end of the Jubilee year. Yes. Of mercy. And uh, and the Pope, so, you know, to kind of close off this year, last weekend he uh, celebrated a Jubilee with prisoners yes. in Rome. And so about 1,000 prisoners wow. actually um, came uh, to the Vatican in order to uh, to celebrate Mass, especially with the Pope. I mean, there were catechesis sessions, uh, um, you know, prayer times, Eucharistic adoration. But on Sunday, he, he celebrated Mass with them in St. Peter's Basilica. Uh-huh. Um, and he gave a homily, I mean, again, just wanting to give them hope that, uh, that you know, our dignity as, as people is not attached to our, you know, our past mistakes or our sins or, you know, these feelings of unworthiness, but that... Um, that our God is is a God of the living and that uh, he is the one who gives us hope and gives us mercy. And that's what what brings us new life. Mm-hmm. So um, and and this weekend, uh, yes. last Jubilee celebration. And this time it's with the homeless or people right. in very fragile situations. Yes. So this is also run by. Um, well, in, in, in collaboration with a French organization or an association called uh, Fratello. Yes. And, uh, and so basically they gather all these associ- associations across the world, or Europe mainly, sorry, who, um, who do help these people in, in precarious situations. Right. And so there are 4,000 people coming from 22 wow. different European countries. Uh, they're in Rome. Yeah. And so they're going to be celebrating Mass with the Pope tomorrow uh, on Sunday as well. And so this is kind of like the last, the last big Jew Jubilee celebration um, right. with Pope Francis before right. the end of the Jubilee year. Right. Mercy. Yeah. Because um, as we know, this weekend as well, uh, holy doors across are the world closed. are being closed. Yes. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy that it's already it's the been end. So it's been, yeah, I know. You know, it's been a big year, but... Um, I know, and they're closing the doors, but that doesn't mean that we need to close our doors no, to mercy no. or to God's mercy. Not yes. at all. That's Hopefully God's not closing yeah. the door <laughs> to right. his mercy. I'm done with you. Yeah. Okay, no. so speaking of Donald Trump... Okay. Um... The uh, Cardinal uh, Cardinal Pietro Parlin, who is the Secretary of State of Vatican, uh-huh. did make a statement yes. um, the day after the on elections, Wednesday. and so I just wanted to to quote him a little bit on on what he said. Um, he spoke to to journalists, and uh, he said, you know, that he. Uh, sends his congratulations to the new president and wish and hopes that his government may bear real fruit. Um, he also um, assured uh, the president-elect, Donald Trump, of, um, of his prayers and that the Lord may enlighten and support him. Now, the president of the USCCB also gave a statement following the elections, Archbishop Joseph E. Kurtz of Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, he said this morning... Now, so this was obviously um, on, on Wednesday right morning. after exactly yeah. this morning. Now that the election is completed, we are of course eager to be able to welcome our new president and all the new elected officials. And he also said we'll be eager to work closely with President Trump as well as both houses of Congress as we seek to really promote the good of all. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. That's good. Yeah, and I, I uh, one of the things that actually uh, came out in the conversation that we're going to air later with Father Tom and Sebastian yes. was that our hope is that this is an opportunity where the not an opportunity, but that the bishops will will really work mm-hmm. American bishops to 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 build those bridges with the government because right now 
doesn't seem like the Catholic Church and the U.S. government are on the same page on right. a lot of things. Right. Um, and even though there's separation of church and state, that doesn't mean that they can't work together or dialogue, dialogue or talk to each other. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Emily. Um, Emily Callan, our news producer. You can watch Emily Callan on Vatican Connections every Friday at 8 p.m. East at saltandlighttv.org and also on our Roku channel. Hey there, this is Tony Melendez. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. God bless you. My name is Deacon Pedro. If you like this program, please support us financially by becoming a monthly donor through our Guardians program. That will ensure that you can continue to listen to the Salt and Light Hour every week. You can find out more at saltandlighttv.org. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's so good to be back. It's it been is. a while. It has. <laughs> I, I, it feels a little strange to ask you how your summer was because it's November. <laughs> but no, I hope you had a good I summer. Ha- I did. I had a lovely summer, and I hope the same went for you and yes. for all the listeners. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. It was a good summer. So I, I have a question for you. Yes. Are you an anime fan? Like, do hmm. you watch anime? No, uh, uh, read it? no, no. Although a few weeks ago we uh, featured a little anime-styled way of the cross on this program. Wonderful. Um, uh, but it was in a comic book format. So, uh, but films, I can't say that I'm a. Not that I'm not a fan, but I'm not very. It's not the. It uh, wouldn't be my first choice of films to watch. You know, I'm I'm kind of with you there. I don't really consider myself an anime fan either. But I wanted to share today some film, a, a series actually, a okay. studio collection of anime films because I think I don't think they're as well known, uh, and they're wonderful for the most part. Family films yeah. to watch, and none of them are brand new. But I I still thought I could highlight them. Okay. And uh, I ran into Studio Ghibli's films. Uh, oh, actually, when I was in Toronto, a friend <laughs> recommended them to me, and I started watching uh, them, and I just really fell in love with them. The Studio Ghibli was created in 1985 by two really great uh, filmmakers who, who work in anime, also uh, both in film and uh, in graphic novels, I uh-huh. believe. And uh, the most famous one is Hayao Miyazaki, who retired, I believe, last year. So the future of Studio Ghibli is not entirely secure, but they have a collection of films that they've been producing since 1985 that are are quite amazing and really whimsical and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to highlight a couple of the qualities that this studio's films uh, give to us and maybe just mention a few titles. Of course, their most famous film is probably Spirited Away. Way, right, yes. which won the Academy Award um, back in, I believe it was 2001 or 2002. Okay. Uh, one of their more recent films that might have been more familiar to American audiences was The Secret World of Arietti. Oh, came yes. Out 2010, and that was based on the, on the children's book, which I loved when I was a kid, called The Borrowers. You know, about the little uh-huh. people who live in your house who run off with whatever you've lost. Yeah. And uh, and so so they've done a lot of of wonderful films and one of the things you know it's it's the studio is based in Japan it's presenting typical uh, Japanese values but they present the magic of I'd say of the world and of childhood especially in a way that is very respectful and gentle 
And yet, it's not like Disney. They don't deny the reality of evil and suffering. As a matter of fact, many of their films don't have a happy Disney ending. But there is always a resolution. Uh, And each film is unique. They appeal to different age levels. You've got the really young children, like ages five or six. You've got kind of the middle grade kids uh, movies. And then you've got preteens and teens. So they, they stretch across the ages. But they do have some common characteristics. Uh, first of all, all of the animation, it's 2D animation, mostly hand-drawn, okay. and it's amazing. It's imaginative. It's whimsical. It's so um, inventive. Like, it's it's really beautiful. Uh, they also take the reality of a spiritual realm for granted in almost, I think, in all of the films that I've seen. And while it's not the spiritual realm in a Christian sense, mm-hmm. there is this you're not stuck in a material world. It actually encourages a worldview that, that highlights spiritual values. That's the opposite of materialistic. Okay. You know, um, they might talk about magic and spirits and even witches and wizards, but it's, again, it's not in our traditional Western way of looking at things. It's looking at the spiritual realm, and it's really cool. Uh, they also, almost all of the films that I've seen, bring out at least two or three strong human values or themes uh, the the value and respect for for the elderly, uh, the the putting your family first, the respect for nature, and uh, valuing of nature, and many of the films also have a pacifist or an anti-war theme in them. Uh, it, that's that's included in a lot of the films, even though not it may not be overt, but it's in there. And delightfully, many of the films have a strong female protagonist, which huh. you don't often see no. in a children's animated programs. So there's just a lot of really great um, values in these films. I, I just wanted to share two of my favorites. Oh, before I do that, if yeah. you are looking for the Studio Ghibli films, I haven't found them streaming anywhere. I usually either get them on DVD used uh, or I borrow them from the library. Uh, okay. American libraries seem to have them, so they're easy to get um, that way. Um, but you do need to make sure you get the English dubbed version unless you know Japanese. Okay. <laughs> or you want to read English yes, subtitles. Yes, that's good to know. So um, my two favorite films are uh, Howl's Moving Castle, which is really a delightful, um, again, whimsical fantasy. It's based on, an, on a book by uh, Diana Wynne-Jones, which is also called Howl's Moving Castle, but it's not quite the same. Uh, this, is a fa- this is like a developed fairy tale. It's got enchantments, disguises, wizards and witches, wars, kings, a castle that walks, okay. um, a love story. And... Uh, and the protagonist is a is a young girl who doesn't have a whole lot of self-confidence. Her name is Sophie Hatter. She's a hatter. She makes hats. Uh-huh. And it's her strength, kindness, and love that change the lives of those around her, despite her her limitations, her littleness, in a way, in the story. So it's a delightful film full of unexpected plot twists. It's It's really lovely. And then the second film that I wanted to highlight that I just saw recently is called The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. And this came out, it's one of their last films uh, in the, in the, from the studio. And it's a Japanese folk tale about a, a mysterious princess who grows from a bamboo plant, huh. <laughs> which sounds very unusual, but it's a fairy tale, you know, folk tale. And she's raised by an elderly bamboo cutter and his wife. But it's a, it's a very, it's 
it's a very otherworldly film, but it's absolutely exquisite animation and beautiful, beautiful character development. And it also really has a, a kind of a profound critique of just seeking social status for your happiness, right. which is amazing to find in a children's film uh, like this. So there's, um, there's lots of good films to look at. I will try to put more information up on my blog, uh, Windows to the Soul, so that people can uh, find more information and perhaps choose one of these films for a family film night. Okay, that's good to know. So, um, uh, Ghibli, and it's G-H-I-B-L-I, correct? Yes, yes. That's how the Studio filmmakers pronounce it, Studio Ghibli. 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 Yeah. And you mentioned a few films, uh, Spirit of the Way, that people may have heard of, The Secret World of Arietti, Howl's yeah. Moving Castle, and The Tale. Of the Princess Kaguya. Kaguya, <laughs> Kaguya. There we go. So, that's... Uh, that's good. So hopefully uh, people can go and uh, go to the... Not only have you encouraged them to look for good films, but you've encouraged them to go to the library, the local library, <laughs> even if it is it is to get a, to get a film. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Good. I'm, I might take your advice and, and take a trip to the library myself. <laughs> That'll be great. Sister Marie Paul is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com. You can also follow her at... Sister M. Paul. Hi, this is Simonetta, and you're listening to The Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with Carolyn Wu, outgoing president of Catholic Relief Services. They dissect the roots of the struggling economy. Carolyn, you're an expert in business. You've spent you know, so many years in the academic world of business, uh, talking about uh, business ethics, corporate responsibility, and such. And when we think about the, the economy and what's happening to the economy, uh, business is a huge part of that. And people think a variety of different things about what the role of business is and in bringing the economy to life or back to life or whatever. From your point of view, what, what is the role of business in, in the economy and what should we be aiming for? Well, the role of the, of the economy is really to allow for the proper exchange of goods in a way that benefits the people who buy the goods and people who produce the goods. And in the end is to create livelihood options, i.e. jobs, and wages which are fair and support a high quality of life for everyone, not just for a few. If you look at the developed countries right now, across the world, the developed countries in Europe and in North America, we're experiencing very strong what we call wage stagnation. And that is real wages have not really changed. This is not just a U.S. phenomenon, it's across the world. So people say, what are the explanations? Is it because the gross domestic product of a country has not grown? That is not true. There was recession, but even for the countries where the GDP has gone up, the wages are still stagnant. So it's not just a matter of economic growth. The second question is, is it because of trade? Is it because we have now outsourced our jobs? Well, this is not just for North America. Again, it's also for the other developed countries. So, and actually trade, there are shipping out of jobs, but there's also 
uh, investments from other countries coming into our country. So there is some effect there, but does not explain it all. I think the two really uh, important effects is automation. Um, and automation is really going, has affected and will continue to affect a lot of our professions. Maybe 30 to 40% of the tasks that we currently do. And we have seen this uh, reduction in jobs despite the GDP growth and before the recession, after the recession. So I think automation is a very important issue. And finally, I also think that as the economy becomes more prosperous, uh, there is unequal distribution, that the providers of labor have not grown and gained as the providers of capital, i.e. the shareholders. Right. So the last two things require education. If you're dealing with automation, you basically have to uh, develop a workforce uh, who could provide more value than just to do you know, what robots can do. And then I think the second part of it is for society and government to address what is a more equitable uh, distribution. Why is it that the provider of capital get all the gains, whereas the provider of labor gets nothing? So I think those are the two big things. Um, I think a lot there's a lot of anger about globalization, about migrants. Um, globalization to some degree, but it also has benefits. Mm -hmm. um, and migrants didn't cause this problem. So it's really how do we prepare the workforce of developed countries uh, for a new stage of sophistication and knowledge. Those are huge, huge uh, issues and obviously would have very complicated solutions, but very quickly, just because we're almost running out of time. When you're dealing with those kinds of systemic problems, where do you start? Because it seems like politics is, you know, uh, not always an easy you know, place to get things done. Obviously, there's a lot of stagnation in places like Congress and other parliaments. Where do you start? So, Sebastian, I would say that the solutions are tough, but not beyond our ingenuity. As I said, automation, the counterpoint of it is education. Uh, wage is really to look at sort of uh, rules that could protect labor, part-time labor, uh, what is the level of minimum wage, what are the proper leaves and support for workers, what are the you know, unemployment insurance, what are some of the trade or automation induced assistance that we could give people. But I think that we have to work together as a country. Divisiveness is what's killing us. We are focusing our attention on each other and say, you cannot win. Um, if I'm winning, there's no point for me to let you win. If I'm not winning, then you cannot win either. Right. So we're not focused on the problems. That's our problem. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with Carolyn Wu of Catholic Relief Services. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5 and on our Roku channel. Coming up in our second half hour, Dying to be Happy and We Respond to America Votes, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. What would you do if you knew that today was your last day? What would be important to you? How would you spend your time? These are questions that led author Chris Stepien to begin writing when his wife was diagnosed with cancer. The result is Dying to be Happy, Discovering the Truth About Life. 
a new book. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Chris Stepien. Chris, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having me, Deacon Pedro. So before we start, I do want to ask you about your wife, Ellen. She's in good health? She's in very good health. Um, she did very well with her breast cancer care. Um, her hair fell out. She had yeah. chemo, had a mastectomy of one breast, but she's dying to be happy. She's alive and well and grateful for every day. Thank you for asking. Right. No, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, you, you, part of the story, uh, maybe it's not part of the story. I'd say most of the book is stories. And, of course, you begin with, with that, the, the, I guess, the story of sitting in that doctor's office with, with Ellen. Um, is it fair to say that, that, you, that you're sort of, these are stories of how people rise above the fear of death? It is. Uh, they become examples of the thesis of the book, because the book is really about discovering the truth about life. Right. Acknowledging our mortality, actually embracing it on a daily basis, waking up every morning and saying, today could be my last day. How should I live? Right. And I think that, you know, in the book, we the thesis is you come to the point of, gratitude to God. Yes. And therefore, if you're grateful, you will serve, you will be humble and happy to serve others. It's very hard to be unhappy if you're truly grateful. Yeah. And I do want to pick up on that uh, a little later, but I want to just so the stories that you tell throughout um the these are these are lessons I guess that these people how they live their life, this is what you you're kind of glean, gleaning from their lives. Without a doubt. Without One a of the doubt. stories is about my mother. I was going to ask you about your mother. Tell me about it. She survived the Holocaust. Yes, yeah, she did. My mother and father got a front row seat for World War II. My mom was 10 and my dad was 18 when the Nazis invaded Poland. Yeah. They were living in rural Poland near the San River on the eastern side of Poland. And so my mom saw horrific things, and she was actually captured during a Gestapo raid in retaliation for an underground um, uh, effort, uh, you know, the underground had hit the Nazis, and yeah. they were hitting back, and my mom was actually captured. Um, wow. And uh, fortunately, she was able to slip away with the help of her um, mother and some aunts, um, because people were permitted to bring food to people right. who were captured right. just prior to going on a death train, and she was able to slip away. And so that lesson for me was, why why did she get away and others not? Right. Um, and there, there were things that she saw, like a great big round fat woman, large woman, climbing up a, a tiny little tree and attempting to hide that day from, from the Gestapo. But that woman survived as well, as did her aunt who ran wow. through the home yelling, run, run, get, and to get out of the house, warning her that the Gestapo were coming. And she hid in a barrel in someone's mudroom. Right. She was not captured, but many others were. And this is the great lesson that Jesus teaches us in the Scripture. He tells us to be prepared, be ready, and not to worry about life, because he said, who among you can add a moment, a single moment to your life by worrying? I so know. this is the core of the Gospel that we, I think, tend to overlook or deny because we don't like to face the reality that each day could be our last. Right, I know, it's not easy. Now, you do also uh, make the connection between mercy um, and living life to the fullest. Where, where do you see that connection? Well, for me, it comes from 
Jesus' gospel in Matthew 25, I call it the sheep and the goats clause. Yeah. Because it's written in such a way, it's kind of like a legal contract. There's some intentionally repetitive language that Jesus uses to tell us that we will be judged by how we love one another, how merciful we are to the stranger, those who are sick, those who are in prison, those right. who are hungry, thirsty, or, or naked. And he calls us to live a life of mercy. This is, dying to be happy is not about your bucket list or my bucket no. list. It is about fulfilling our call from God, which is to be merciful to others, to express our gratitude to him by showing love to one another, to, to wash feet. I call praying, um, breaking bread, and washing feet the three-step boogie of Christianity. In right. other words, this is what we're essentially called to do. So we get caught up in the world, and we want things, and we want to own things, and then we wonder why we're not happy. Right. And the reason we're not happy is because we're not following the simple message that Jesus said, which is, you know, love one another. Yeah. That's, that's the key to happiness. Yeah. Now, I, I don't think at all that the book is about this, but what would you say to that person that's listening, thinking, well, isn't that kind of fe- a fear-based approach that we need to do good because we're scared that we're going to die and go to hell? No. On the contrary, I think our fear of death is what leads us to unhappiness. In other words, okay. if you knew you were going to die today, what would you do? In other words, what, what are you doing with your time here? ultimately, even if you were not a believer. And I've had people who are not believers or who are not Christians respond very positively to this book. Right. Because a, a Jewish man told me, although I am not a Christian, reading the book made me want to be a better, become a better person. Right, but not... And be- that ultimately is, is what I think Christianity is about. And I don't think we can get there without embracing our mortality. And you're saying that if once we realize that, what I don't, we realize that, and that means that we're no longer afraid of death, or realize not being afraid of death makes us helps us realize that. Do you know what I'm asking? Well, I I think being afraid of death is normal. Uh huh. You know, just because you acknowledge that you're going to die, and you just because you accept something doesn't right. mean that that you that might not have a natural not have a natural fear of the unknown. Yeah. Right. But if I accept it then all of a sudden, was well, that thing that she or he said to me really worth getting upset about? Because mm-hmm. this could be my last day. Right. And, and, and this is ultimately the message of Jesus. He, said, he also said, you know, if you can't control these things, then why would you worry about the, these, the smallest things? In other words, right. don't, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. Who, who knew that that came from Jesus originally? Yeah. So, so we, we spend a lot of our life in fear. You know what fear stands for, of course, right? Uh-oh, you're going to tell me. <laughs> Future events appearing real. Yes. I mean, this is what essentially fear does to us. It's, it's demonic. It, 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 it distracts us from love. It, it, we don't trust God. Right. And, and we, if, if we can trust him, yes. even unto our death, then we can do great things. Because he said, you know, um, those who believe in me will do the things that I do and will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Right. Wow, who would ever think we could do that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you think that death has something to teach us about life? Oh, without question. I mean, it, it, it does because it's part of life. Mm-hmm. I mean... We begin dying from conception, right? But we don't 
it, in, in death is the truth, because if you can deceive yourself, delude yourself into believing you're going to live here forever, or don't pay any attention to it, you know, kind of procrastinate thinking about it, then you can lie to yourself about anything. But if you are willing to be truthful with yourself and acknowledge your mortality, then all of a sudden you can be truthful with yourself about yourself, about your life, about how you're spending your time and what you think is important, what your priorities are. Because death being the great equalizer, meaning no matter how much you earn or how little you have, when we die, we're all equally right. dead. Yes. Um, it, it has a way of putting everything in perspective. But if you want to deny it, then, you know, you can lie to yourself about lots of things. Yes. Okay. Those are wise words, my friend. Thank you for sharing them with us today and uh, for writing the book. And uh, Lots to think about. Thank you for reading the book, Deacon. And as always, thank you for letting me share my thoughts. God bless you. You too. That was a that was a conversation I had with Chris Stepien earlier this week. Chris Stepien is a journalist. He's turned author. He's the author of Dying to be Happy, Discovering the Truth About Life. It's published by Beacon Publishing. You can learn more at dynamiccatholic.com. If you're in Canada, you might, might want to look at amazon.com to avoid those shipping charges. Here now is Simonetta with America the Beautiful from her album, Faith on My Sleeve. America, America, He goes before us. 
was Simonetta with America the Beautiful from her album, Faith on My Sleeve. It's been a long year and a half of campaigning, and this has probably been the most tiring and surprising U.S. election in history. But the election is over, and we have to move on. How does it affect us as Catholics, and how are we called to respond as Catholics? To explore some of these questions, I sat with Sebastian Gomes and Father Tom Rosica earlier this week. Here's an excerpt of that conversation. In 2008, when President when Barack Obama, then Barack Obama, was yes. elected for the first time, I was in Minnesota. I, I was at school there in graduate school, and I remember his campaign was such a hopeful, positive movement, if you want to call it that, uh, that really galvanized you know a huge percentage uh, you know of the country. And on the night that he was elected, there was great joy. People were flooding the streets. I was on a college campus. People yeah. were elated. It was incredible, the atmosphere all around the country. And when I was watching you know, this election night unfold, uh, I just didn't feel the same sense of joy and celebration. It was almost like the people who decided to vote for Donald Trump were not necessarily happy about doing mm -hmm. it. They sort of did it reluctantly. But they felt that they had to. It was almost like you know they, they stood on their front step, watched the election unfold, and then said, "Yep, we had to do this." And then walked back in their houses, and everybody quietly went to sleep at yeah. night. So there wasn't that sense of joy and and, and, and that means that there's a real major shift that's taking place mm -hmm. here, uh, not only in the American you know, political arena in the country. Uh, but around the world, I mean, we saw the Brexit vote, you know, now we see something like yeah. this. I mean, there's things that are happening that are not predictable in the same yeah. way that we always thought they were. And, and, and this was just a statement by the American people, like Father Tom said, a democratic statement yeah. uh, that we need change. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, we all have friends, family in the United States. You're American. You have family there. And Canadian. And, <laughs> well, yes. Um, you lived in the States. You studied in the States. Yeah. Surely you've heard from some of your American friends and family. What are they saying? What have you heard them say? I started hearing from people at 2 o'clock this morning, Eastern Time, in Canada not only from the United States, but from about five countries. Mm -hmm. People watch this in utter horror. I think they based a lot of their judgment on what they've seen over the past 18 months. And no matter how you cut this cake or judge the situation, the United States is a divided country at present. Yeah. And neither candidate uh, would offer a mandate or receive a mandate. And by saying that Mr. Trump won does not mean he has a mandate. If mm -hmm. you look at the numbers, Hillary won by popular vote. Yeah. 
it's this electoral college system, which is part of the American system, mm -hmm. which then makes the determining factor. Mm -hmm. In any case, what's going to happen now is the country needs to pull together. We already saw the first speeches today, the, the speeches coming from the President of the United States, the sitting President, from Hillary Clinton and from Mr. Trump, um, that offer not a rhetoric of political campaigns, but hopefully a way forward, mm -hmm. a willingness to cooperate. I'm very concerned over the deep-seated divisions in the country and how will those who are on the peripheries and those who have really been suffering over for years, unemployed, uh, undocumented immigrants in the country, undocumented people, what does all of this mean for them? Yeah, I would, say, I would say quickly that uh, over the course of this campaign, a lot of people who I respect very much and look up to Catholics. are highly intelligent, Catholic and, and non-Catholic. Non said to me at different points that it's impossible for him to win. Mm -hmm. They said it was when he first it's never announced gonna happen. it was yeah. impossible that he would win the nomination, then he did. It was impossible for him to win the election and now he has. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of very intelligent people, Americans, who this does not all add up right now. Nobody really understands fully what this means uh, and what's taking place. So it's first of all, cause for an enormous amount of patience and reflection uh, in a kind of peaceful, humble way to say that politics doesn't always fit into our nice box, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and the establishment politics as we've known it, uh, you know, especially over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years in the United States, no longer is ac acceptable to the people. Right. Uh, and so even though we have no idea what's going to happen, we know that that change was on the hearts and minds of the American people. They voted for it. And it's going to cause, it should cause, hopefully, all of them and all of us, especially, you know, Canadians who share the longest open border with, with, with the United States, you know, and any country in the world, uh, to really be patient and humble about this and try yeah. to think through it clearly and reasonably and maybe even broaden our perspective yeah. a little bit. Yeah, more. now we know that, that our Catholic faith, our beliefs don't fit neatly into those two camps, um, uh, Republican uh, and Democrat, liberal, conservative in Canada. Um, do, you, do you feel that l this election has been more divisive in that sense among Catholics? Because in the past, I remember, I know friends that, you know, just as many Catholics are Republican or Democrat and, and even in, in the same family. But do you feel that this election was more divisive for some reason? I think so, because the election played on fear, first of all. Uh -huh. And secondly, the wrong presentation of our issues. So where you had a candidate running for president who in the final moments, the final hours, declares that he's pro-life, so that rings certain bells mm -hmm. and tickles certain fancies. Whether or not he's pro-life is beside the point. We have another candidate who is flawed, terribly flawed, with a lot of baggage, who comes across as against many of the principles of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. So where does the average Catholic find himself or herself in this? I've never received so many phone calls and messages mm -hmm. from Catholics in the United States and then being in the States the past months, people stopping me and saying, what do I do? This is a crisis of conscience, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which raised the deeper question of the formation of people's conscience and the preparation of people on the part of right. church leaders. Right. What have we done? When we have people simply saying, these are non-negotiables. When the Vicar of Christ and the Bishop of Rome and the Pope, the one we call Pope, says, what are non-negotiables? Mm -hmm. Let's look at the bigger questions. There's no question that the concept and the issues of life are central to everything. 
But it's not just against abortion. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be pro-life, what Cardinal Bernardin would say, and his anniversary of death is coming up, in fact, it's this week, 20 years since Bernardin, we're now seeing the consistent ethic of life being presented so clearly by Pope Francis. If you are for life from the earliest moments to the final moments, then you have people saying, Trump is pro-life. You had other people saying, oh, no, no, he's going to put in Supreme Court judges. This will solve everything. But Supreme Court judges also need to be ratified and passed by Congress. Mm -hmm. What's going to be the relationship of the Trump president working with the United States Congress? So what have we done in the United States to encourage people to proper citizenship, to choose, if you will, the lesser evil, the person who's going to do a greater amount of good on the bigger questions, mm -hmm. how can we choose every opportunity we can to make a difference? And I have my doubts that certainly both candidates were capable of doing mm -hmm. that. Now America has chosen, and we'll have to give him a benefit of the doubt and also work closely to hold Trump responsible and accountable for what he promised he would do. Yeah. But the thing that struck me in this whole campaign was that because you had the reality of two candidates who, according to all Catholics, did not fit sit well, it didn't yeah. fit the no. bill, and it was so blatantly obvious that neither of them didn't, there was a kind of a provocation into a deeper reflection on what conscience means. What does it mean to vote with my conscience? Like the right. fact that you had people coming to you and saying, what do I do? I, I don't, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a, either a Republican or a yeah. Democrat, and I've always been, but now we have this candidate who I can't, you know, go along with. So as Catholics especially, this is a perfect opportunity to reflect on what it means to have a well-formed and mm -hmm. informed conscience. Pope Francis is challenging us to do that in the church already with the issues of family, what, what it means to make an educated and informed and prayerful decision when you're in a complex pastoral situation. Yes. You know, fact, that's the great contribution of Francis um, yes. with the Morris Laetitia. Exactly. So these things dovetail, these yeah, two issues. So the, 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 exactly. So no, the yeah. issue is, is now on the table. So now Catholics have to say, okay, well, we've always kind of said, yes, I can do this according to my conscience and, you know, conversation over. Not anymore. I mean, it, we have to really, really focus, and this is primarily right now in the hands of the bishops to say, what, right. how are we teaching this effectively yeah. so that people know what it means to obey your conscience I yeah. sincerely and then respect hope that, that yeah. the bishops of the United States will seize this opportunity as a privileged teaching moment that, in a sense, some of them didn't know what to do throughout this whole conundrum. They were silent or some of them issued statements which were not helpful, they were very confusing. Mm -hmm. But some of the very wise bishops, I think of one in particular, now Cardinal-designate formerly of Indianapolis on his way to Newark, Joseph Tobin, who issued a series of letters and of columns in his diocesan newspaper over the past three months, which really should become the compendium mm -hmm. of how we form people, how we teach people, what does responsible citizenship mean? And other bishops followed suit as well. They mm -hmm. did the same thing. I know Cardinal, Cardinal Designate Tobin's work because I read it very carefully. Archbishop Supich, the same thing right. in Chicago. But we cannot sit back. There is the separation of church and state. There's no question about that. But I think sometimes we take that to an extreme and we abdicate our teaching role, our teaching mm -hmm. responsibility in forming minds. Now you mentioned earlier that you know you were talking about your, your hope as to how the American bishops are going to respond and we'll, we'll still have to wait and see. 
Um, is this an opportunity, I guess it's always an opportunity, for the church to engage government? I know there's this separation uh, of church and state, so but what does that mean and what is the current relationship between the, the Catholic Church in the United States and the government? That's a very good point. I think one of the failures or the flaws of the Obama administration was the unwillingness or the inability to build bridges with mm -hmm. the government. It was almost as if they, they started right from the beginning of driving wedges. And we saw the wedges being driven over the life issues, over marriage, over morality. And I'm not saying that the government has to buy every single aspect of the Catholic Church's teaching, mm -hmm. but there was a coldness and a distance. That's very crucial. And certainly we saw during the campaign, uh, we saw email leaks, we saw ridiculous things coming out, we saw deep-seated sentiments against the Church. Mm -hmm. This did not bode well for either candidate. It's my hope now that Trump and whoever he has around him, really begin to build bridges for a couple reasons. First of all, the church is a force to contend with in the United States. Second of all, the church contributes immensely to the government, to the, to helps the government right. with education, with the poor, Hospitals. with the homeless, yeah. with health care. Yeah. Thirdly, the Roman Catholic Church is led by the most significant leader in the world right now, who at some point will interface with the President of the United States. Mm. So I really hope that quietly, in the beginning, a person like Cardinal Donald Wuerl, a friend of ours and someone I admire immensely, the Archbishop of Washington, Washington, in whose diocese is the White House, that there will be some bridges built, little by little, and to create some forms of dialogue. It can't be lip service. Yeah, and this is something that's not just the responsibility of the government, the church as well. The church. And a person like Cardinal, I know Cardinal Wuerl and others from the United States at times worked very hard to have inroads, to have dialogue, mm -hmm. but there was a resistance. And the irony is there were many Catholic members of the cabinet yeah. and of the government, of the White House. Right. So there was a disconnect there, and hopefully we can find ways to build bridges yeah. and create a dialogue. Francis says dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. Absolutely. But what's really important to, you know, to get there is first for the Catholic Church in the United States to look itself in the mirror and say, we cannot be as divided as we are. Because mm -hmm. it, it, you know, you're right that the church needs to build that relationship with the state, but when you have the church in different dioceses around the country singing very different tunes and sometimes completely out of tune right. with what Pope Francis is saying, that, that makes it very difficult for the state or for any other You're institution right. to take you seriously. So the bishops, like we know the the Catholic bishops of the United States, their plenary, plenary assembly is coming up uh, yeah. very shortly. They need to do some serious reflection on this, and they need to get over the issues that mm -hmm. divide them so blatantly. Because the rest of us look at that church yeah. and we say, "You, you know, are there was one election divided. on yeah. Tuesday, the eighth of November, and the second election is a couple days from now. This is Friday, and next Tuesday or Wednesday, the American bishops will be electing their new leadership, their new president, the new president. and vice president from the slate of ten or twelve names. Yes." And this is a golden opportunity for them to choose to walk with Francis. You know, walk with Francis was not only the motto of the preparation for the papal visit in the Archdiocese of Washington, a brilliant preparation, but also to say, we are with Francis because now we need more than ever to stand together. Because when there's division, uh, we allow certain forces to step in and divide even deeper. That was part of a conversation I had with our CEO, Father Thomas Rosica, and with Salt and Light producer Sebastian Gomes earlier this week. You can watch the full conversation on Perspectives, the weekly edition, at saltandlighttv.org and also on our Roku channel. Here now to take us out is a song that always makes me think of our friends down south. 
Wade in the Water by Angelina from her album Assembled. listening to Angelina with Wade in the Water from her album Assembled and that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that if you tuned in late you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs for free at saltandlighttv.org/radio. And that's also where you can learn about all our featured artists and guests. And that's also where you can find out about our work here at Salt and Light. And learn how you can support our ministry. Yeah, by becoming a monthly donor through our Guardians program. And remember that we can now receive donations from the United States, so go to saltandlighttv.org to learn more. Remember to write to us to tell us what you think of the U.S. election. You can write to me via Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. And you can reach me, Emily Callen, on Twitter at Emmy Callen. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callen. And this has been the, the Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour. In the water, children away.